Hello, Burlington, and welcome to Net Zero Energy. I'm Jennifer Green, Director of Sustainability for the City of Burlington, where our goal is to reduce and eventually eliminate fossil fuel usage. In this podcast series, we share ways we can all reduce our energy usage for heating, transportation, and really anything else we plug in. So today, I have Jeff Padgett with me. Jeff is a colleague. Jeff is a division director at the Department of Public Works, and I'm really happy to be here with Jeff, not only because he's a work colleague, but because he's a Burlingtonian who has worked to transition his home away from fossil fuels. Jeff, it's great to have you with us. Yeah, thanks a lot. Thanks for having me. Yeah, so I'm really curious, just maybe we take it from the top. Tell us a little bit about what you've done in your home to begin to eliminate fossil fuels. Well, um, it's a funny story, actually. We started almost 10 years ago. Um, we, uh, my wife's work took her to Boston for a year, so we actually rented our house out and we moved to Boston. And upon our return in 2013, we discovered that our dryer was kaput, and it was a gas dryer. And we started thinking, well, we really don't want to put another gas dryer and we'd really like to go electric. But then I said, but we don't have electric anything else. We don't have an electric stove, electric furnace, anything like that. So it was tight, so we just put another gas furnace in. But it was painful. So that started the thought process of saying, okay, how are we going to get off of fossil fuels? It really put a a fire under us. So then in 2015, 2016 timeframe, our furnace died. Our gas furnace that we were whacking with a mallet to get it to ignite, you know, that's probably not a good thing to be whacking, you know, things that are burning. Um, so anyway, so we ended up, uh, you know, costing out the price of a, a you know, conventional furnace versus a heat pump. And um, the heat pump was slightly more expensive, but we also got air conditioning in the summer. So, and the other thing for us is we have a very small house. We're about 1,100 square feet and we had baseboard hot water uh traditional furnace. And I actually calculated the square footage of the baseboards and multiplied that by the value of our house. And it was almost a wash. So if you look at it in terms of square footage, usable space, and the value of that, the heat pump actually gained us value in the house. And and it modernized, modernized us and got us air conditioning. Anyway, then, so then what ended up happening is we had, so now we had this gas dryer, we had a heat pump, we also had a gas stove. Then our refrigerator died. And we're like, well, we're not going to, you know, it's an electric refrigerator. But when you go to buy a refrigerator, they always want to roll in a washer, you know, a dishwasher and a stove. So we're like, okay, this is our chance. Get the induction stove. So we got an induction stove. So now our gas stove was gone. Now we're sitting there. We've got everything in our house is electric except this gas dryer that we had bought. <laughs> You know, that we didn't want to buy. So there's like an irony there, right? So anyway, um, so finally, once we got to once we got to that point where we only had this gas dryer, then I'm starting to look at my gas bill. I'm like, okay, this is crazy. It cost me $25 a month to be hooked up to gas. I'm burning $3 a month in gas on the, on the gas dryer. <laughs> so... So anyway, so then in 2017, 2018, we got rid of the gas dryer, put an electric dryer in. And, and while we, when we ran the uh, new electrical for the heat pump, we actually ran an electric wire for an electric clothes dryer because we knew it was coming eventually. So we were ready to receive it. So, we had, so it was like drawn out, but relatively planned. 
Um, so anyway, so we replaced the gas dryer or yeah, gas dryer with the electric. And then I realized as I was mowing the yard, I was looking at the, at the gas meter, on the side of our house. It's like, well, why do I still have this here? <laughs> so I called up Vermont gas and asked them to come and take it out. And one day they showed up and dug up our whole front yard, unbeknownst to us, and pulled the gas line out. So we actually don't even have a gas line to our house. Well, I love this story, Jeff. And I, I, I have to say, I, I'm laughing a little bit about the irony regarding your dryer, but how that precipitated right. this chain reaction for you. And not only that, how it sort of set you on this proactive path to be thinking and sort of preparing as things die and they need to be replaced. Right. Exactly. Oh, one thing I didn't mention is hot water heater. When we did the heat pump, we also did the heat pump hot water system. So yeah, so we, we're fully electric now. The only thing we have is uh, not it's fossil fuel is we have a gas grill outside and then our camp stoves. Wow. Well, I really want to congratulate you. I mean, it's really exciting because we talk about this transition to net zero, this transition away from fossil fuels. But to speak with a Burlington homeowner who has really sort of cut the cut the pipe, so to speak, yeah. um, it's it's exciting. Yeah. So I am curious a little bit about um, the money component. You know, for we often talk about the low price of natural gas and how hard it might be to rationalize from an economic standpoint. But you did this calculation in your home, which sounds interesting, right. um, which showed you that indeed in your particular case, given the square footage of your house, it was cost effective. Can you talk a little right. bit about that and that calculation? Yeah, so basically we just took this, the the square footage of our of, of how much that baseboard covered and said what's the value of that square footage you know in real market value and what what how much bigger of a house would we have to buy to get that square footage back so we got that back and then on top of that you know the the financial calculation around the cost of electricity versus natural gas is a little bit uh, let's say convoluted or conflated um, especially when you bring in the concept of air conditioning we never had air conditioning. We, we had window units. So I could theoretically go back and see what we were burning for electricity in the summer versus what we're burning electricity in the, in the summer now. But I will say we probably use more electricity in the summer than we used to because air conditioning is very nice. Yes, yes. And I think sort of once you've experienced the world of air conditioning in a centralized way, it's hard to, it's hard to give it up. It, it is hard to give it up. It's just, it's really nice to have that sanctuary. It's the humidity really, which is really nice. I think that's something that people don't think about when they, with the air conditioning as much as the cooling is it just takes that edge off the humidity, which is, is quite nice. Right. And we don't hear a lot about that. We don't hear a lot about the humidity, but that's certainly increasing in Burlington. You know, the other thing um, that we often don't talk about, but seems to be playing out is this idea that people are only using their heat pumps for shoulder season. Right. You're obviously using it all winter. Can you talk a little bit about what your experience has been? Yeah. So this is an interesting thing. You know, when I first said we were going to go heat pump, everybody's like, well, what happens if the power goes out? And I said, well, what happens when the power goes out with your hydronic system? And they're like, I don't know. <laughs> they literally don't know. And I'm like, well, you're Hydronic system only works if the pump spins. The pump only spins if there's electricity. So you don't have heat either. So this concept of having a backup system because the electricity goes out is sort of the same. Like if you're worried about that, you should have that if you, even if you have gas or oil or whatever you have. Um, the, other, the other issue that is often brought up, so that's, that's the backup concept, but then there's the concept of what happens when it gets really cold. Now, when it gets really cold, if for sure the heat pump has a harder time keeping up, when it's minus 15, minus 17, if we've got the 
if we've got the thermostat set at 62 or 63, it, it has a hard time staying at 61, 62. It's, it's working hard to grab those calories out of the air. That said, we could set it at 68 and it would settle down at 65, 66. Because it's working off the delta, right? It's working off the difference in temperature inside. You know, if you're only trying to make up one or two degrees, that's what it's trying to do. And it doesn't matter if it's... There's a lot of physics in there. I don't pretend to be a physicist or a mechanical engineer, but we haven't had a big issue with it. Um, I know a lot of people like to have a secondary heat source, and, and it is nice to have a wood stove and feel that radiant heat. And uh, But it, we've been doing it for a number of years now and haven't had any real issues. I think that's the part of the difference in the way that heat pumps work also is a radiant heat is blasting, you know, hundreds of degrees worth of air into the room. You know, it's blowing 150 degree air, whatever the temperature is. So it really, so it, it makes sense to have the heater at the bottom and let the rising happen because you probably are working on a timer, right? You're lowering your temperature at night and raising your temperature during breakfast time or during the day or whatever for your, your lifestyle. This was one of the big sort of mindset changes with a heat pump is heat pumps work on steady state. We want everything to be very stable. So we don't set a timer on our heater. Like we just keep it at, you know, in the summer we keep it at whatever, 72, 73. In the winter we keep it at 64, 65, or 62, whatever it is. And it just stays there all the time. Don't Because if you want to push the temperature from 62 to 68, that machine has to work really hard to grab those six calories. But if you're just keeping it within a two-degree two zone, it's – basically staying the same efficiency all the time. Yeah, really good advice. And just really good way to think about maximizing your heat pumps so you're not asking too much of it. And you're not shocking your electric bill that much as well too, right? I mean, exactly. more or less, you're seeing some steadiness. Right. So yep. that's, that's got to be helpful. So Jeff, you didn't talk about weatherization. I am curious. I imagine you've done some of that work too. Well, we have an old house. Yeah. So we have an old house that was renovated in the early 90s. So we had... Um, we had modern windows, but not that we had modern to 94 windows. And so we've actually been methodically going around and replacing the windows with real modern steel clad windows. We did a, we did a big renovation about five years ago where we did heavily insulate, uh, we dormered the house and we heavily insulated that. And, but we are still working on the weatherization component just as we modernize everything else. And, you know, we, we have windows that were they're wood frame, you know, they, so no steel cladding or any of that. So they were just rotting. And so, yeah, weatherization for an old house is tough. I mean, we have a cinder block basement that with the wood skirting and the, and the and floor beams in it. And there's just, I, I, I burn up a couple of cans of spray foam every summer. Yeah. Or, you know, every fall going around looking for the gap. You know? Yeah. Well, you know, and I guess it's a reminder that this transition to net zero is exactly that. It's a transition. It doesn't happen with a snap of a fingers and that every situation is unique. I mean, certainly your situation is unique. The way you started sort of with the dryer in mind, but it led to something else, which led you back to the dryer eventually. And this understanding that with weatherization, well, maybe in our case, we want to start with the windows, but we're very cognizant of sort of our house's age and construction and what would be most appropriate. But one of the interesting things is when they did the renovation in the early 90s, they were really thinking about t getting the house very tight, not, not insulated particularly, but tight. So one of the weird 
peculiar things that they did was they put a layer of uh, plastic uh, in between the first floor and the second floor, which meant we have had a very difficult vapor transfer in our house. You boil water on the first floor and you're steaming up the windows on the second floor. And it, it is complicated. But the point is they made the house tighter than they did insulated. And I think that was some of the trend at the time. And we're sort of moving into a properly ventilated house with the proper insulation. So again, so the transition is they did the best they could in the early 90s, and I'm really grateful they did what they did because they took it from a house that was built in 1918 and was basically the same house in 1991, and they did a wholesale upgrade, which was great. But now we're in the next transition. So when we talk about our transition, our timeline to do from 2013 to now, we're also talking about as a society and as a technology, things are changing constantly. So what might be the best decision today might be reasonable to revisit in 10 years. Right, right. When I really appreciate the semantics, like in how you're differentiating between these things. And you're talking about ventilation, which of course wasn't a topic of conversation not too long ago. And now in the time of COVID, and as we think about heat pumps, as we think about gas stoves, honestly, and sort of the, the health right. issues associated with gas in our home, we are talking more about ventilation and not just sort of tightening a house for tightening sake, but efficient and proper weatherization. Probably not plastic between your first and second floors. No, that's very frustrating. Yeah, yeah, yeah. We've removed it when we can. Yeah, maybe putting your city hat on for a second. I am curious as a city staffer, if you feel um, any different about the transition that you've made at your home versus if you were a, simply a Burlingtonian or a BED customer. I feel like a lot of the choices we're st making at home are similar to choices we're making in the city, just at a different scale. So I'm actually working with BED on, you know, I run the parking garages and we are installing charging units in the parking garages. Living and working and serving the people with whom I live in my community is such a, a meaningful and I feel honored being able to do it. And I wouldn't be surprised if you don't feel the same way. Yeah, the ability to have impact in your own in your own community is is important. I mean, that's, a, that's what, you know, I run parking garages and I run traffic signals and stop signs, but it's really not about that. It's a really about getting the community the best quality experience in those environments. Do we have the best technology for our traffic signals? We're embarking on, my own little plug here, we're embarking <laughs> on a three to five year plan of replacing all of our traffic signals in town with remote control, remote video, remote ability to monitor an intersection and tweak performance on the fly. I mean, that's 21st century, you know, we're cutting edge on, you know, so we're exploring new technologies to increase efficiency in our, in my own way, in my department, you know, improving traffic flow, not saying we're getting more traffic flow, but taking the flow that we have, making it run smoother. So we have less idling, less idling means less gas. Eventually, maybe they'll all be electric anyway, and it'll be moot, but... <laughs> yeah, no, but you're right. I mean, we talk about sort of who wears the sustainability hat in the city, and undoubtedly, we all do. So, Jeff, why don't you tell us what's next? It sounds like you've covered a lot of ground, but I, knowing you, I imagine you've got things in your back pocket. So, so interestingly enough, we were backed into another similar, a similar did something we didn't necessarily want to do situation in 2019. We needed a new car, period. Cars were literally 
kaput. We needed a car. So we were backed into getting a car in 2019. The incentives weren't enough for us. The marketplace wasn't there enough for us. There weren't enough options, right? It was pretty much Tesla, you know, or Leaf for Tesla. That was pretty much it. So we got a gas car. And we don't drive a lot. We drive around Burlington. That's most where we drive. Um, so we're like, fine, we'll just do this. But now, ever since then, it's this gas dryer all over again. Now we're like, how do we get rid of this gas car? And how do we get it into an electric car? Because the market is, is exploding now. There's plenty of op- options and opportunities for getting a reasonably priced, comfortable car. You know, you don't have to buy a luxury car now or a basic, basic car. Like, I mean, Leaf is a nice car, but it's, it's, it's a compact car and a luxury car. That was the only option. Now you can get a mid-level car and something with more, it's just a, a broader selection. And so that's where we're thinking next is how do we, how do we fit an electric car into our portfolio? So Jeff, I just want to thank you so much for your time today and for sharing your story with us. It's inspiring and it's real. Yeah. Yeah. I very much appreciate it. Thanks a lot. Yeah. Thank you. Thank you again for listening to Net Zero Energy. If you have any questions about this podcast or what BED offers regarding incentives, rebates, or technological support, look for us at burlingtonelectric.com or call us at 802-865-7300. You can also follow us on Facebook. We're always here to help and look forward to engaging with you on our mutual path to Net Zero Energy. Mm -hmm.